Ephesians chapter 1. After a little bit of time away from the chapter, we come back to it. Uh, we're going to start in at verse uh, 15 in just a moment. We've finished that first paragraph. You know, sometimes we get the idea that Paul, as he wrote and was inspired by the Holy Spirit, that basically what he did was he wrote a verse and took a break, came back and wrote another verse and took a break, and there's not really much connection there. And uh, maybe he came back to write the third verse and rolled a Yahtzee and figured out what to write from there or something. Uh, but the, and, and I get that we feel that way sometimes, and, and some of it's my fault because we've been going through this, this book and these scriptures so slowly that it's sort of easy to get the idea that, you know, these verses uh, exist independently. In point of fact, there's a flow to Paul's thought. There's a development to Paul's thought. And when we see that and put it all together and keep it together in our heads, we understand a lot better what Paul is trying to accomplish and what he is saying. And that's, that's uh, one of the things we're going to be looking at this morning because uh, what he has to say is vitally connected to what he just said. And this morning we look at how he connects the two. For example, in verse 16 he says, I do not cease to give thanks, remembering you in my prayers. In other words, for the rest of the chapter, he's going to be praying for these folks. He's going to pray that they will be enlightened. He's going to pray that they have a full, a real grasp and understanding of what God has done for them. In fact, there's three things that he's going to mention, and sure sounds like a three-part sermon series to me. Uh, so we, we may be there for a while. Maybe not. Uh, but before he gets to that point, says, and I'm praying for you, he's just finished saying... Let's bless God. Let's bless God because he blessed us. And here's what God has done. Why the Father, he has chosen us before the foundation of the world. The Father has elected us and predestined us for adoption. Before we showed up on the scene, before creation showed up on the scene, God chose us. His divine election in the depths of the mystery of who he is, God chose us. Then he says, Let's praise God. Let's give him the glory. You know, give glory to God for his grace towards us in Christ Jesus. And then the next thing he said, you remember? Just not yes. Or we'll be here for a very long time. Okay. Uh, the next thing he says, well, let's, let's consider what the Son has done for us. The Son redeemed us. He has forgiven us of our sins. He went to the cross. He died for us. He shed his blood for us. And because of that, we've been renewed and, and we've been reconciled to God. And, and all those things that have to do with salvation have to do with what the Son did for us as he came, Emmanuel, God with us, God incarnate. God was in Christ reconciling us, the world, to himself. And so um, we praise God the Father for choosing us for his election. We praise the Son for redeeming us. I'm shortening it here. Uh, and then he says, and that's for the glory of God's grace. To God's glory is why this has happened. And then he says, well, what about the Spirit? He said, when you believed, when you, when you tied into all this, the Holy Spirit was given to you as a, as a gift, as a guarantee, as a down payment on your salvation. So you have an absolute certainty that you will inherit what God has promised and it will be a reality in your life because of the gift of the Holy Spirit working in you now. Uh, and so he says, let's praise God and give him glory. So three times we glorify God. The Father for our election, the Son for our redemption, and the Spirit for our sealing, for our sanctification, for putting us and guaranteeing us uh, our salvation. He says, now, because of all that, that's what we're back to verse 15. He says, for this reason, that's the reason he's talking about. 
the fullness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, having brought to us this wondrous, beautiful gospel of salvation. He says, because of that and, and this is our focus for this morning, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. He said, here's how I know you tied into it. See, sometimes we get the idea that Paul says, well, I'm just thinking about you in my prayer and, uh, well, let me try to think of something to be thankful for. Oh, I know, uh, the, the softball tournament. Not that you won, but that you survived. <laughs> you know, something like that. Or, or wow, you, 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 uh, you had a great, uh, great safe night's week or, or, you know, something like that. No, he goes for what is essential in Christian experience. Essential in the church. He says, because of what God has done, the fullness of God has done, for that reason, for, for the fullness of God has done, and because I have heard that you latched into that, you've been tied into what God has done by his grace, and the evidence of that is your faith in Jesus Christ and the love that you have for saints. Saints is a word that means believers in Jesus Christ. It's holy ones. It's people set apart for God because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So that's where we are this morning. Paul saying, because of everything God has done and because you've linked into it by faith and by love for one another, I'm praying for you, okay? That's where we are, and let's read it together. Verse 15, we'll read through the end of the chapter. This, by the way, is, is basically one sentence again in the Greek, uh, certainly down to uh, verse 22. Um, there, 22 may be a compound sentence or it may be a separate sentence. It really doesn't make much difference, but the gist of the, 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 the majority of this is just one sentence uh, for us. I think uh, many English translations put it down as one sentence as well. Bunch of commas, but no period. So in verse 15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's bow together. Father, this morning I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring to us the stamina of faith that we need. For many of us are facing challenges in life that are beyond our abilities facing problems that are beyond the answers we can provide. Some, Father, are facing illnesses and, and times of great concern about, about physical health. And, Father, we just need the stamina to take one more step for one more day. We oftentimes are drained and exhausted, oftentimes confused. Many times the, 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 the weight of the world presses in upon us. Father, give us the stamina to look up, set our eyes on heaven, to take just one more step, then give us the next day and the next step and the next. Father, we need the stamina to keep on pressing on by the power of your Holy Spirit. 
So I pray that you would minister out of your grace and your love for us, that you would give us the resources that we might glorify you in all things as you give us the stamina to walk in faith. I ask it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, open to Ephesians chapter 1. Our focus this morning is just verse 15, and in point of fact, it's the last half of verse 15. Uh, As Paul was writing, he brings out the essentials of the church, and he says, I see those in you, Ephesians, and I thank God for it. The essential things he brings out is faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints, love for one another. He brings those two out as, as the essential aspects of the church. You know, in a few moments, we'll be coming to the Lord's table. And th- this is where Jesus said, come to this table and take the bread. And as the bread is broken, understand that my body was broken for you. Because of your sinfulness, I bore that brokenness on your behalf. Here's my body broken for you. And every time you partake of it, remember me. And when you take the cup... Remember that my blood was poured out for you so you could have a new covenant, a new relationship with the Father through the Son. And so as you partake of the cup, remember me. Jesus said, I want you constantly to come back to the cross, back to the cross, back to the death and the resurrection. Come back to the cross and remember Jesus, that our faith is in Jesus Christ. I don't think it's the case that Jesus thought these guys were going to forget him. You know, it's not the case that those 12 disciples were for, going to forget him. But over time, this is what human beings do. We just sort of forget what we're all about. We start to think of the church as being maybe a social club or maybe a cultural center or maybe a helpful agency and we lose sight of the fact that the church is the body of Jesus Christ. We need to come back to the cross Partake of the body and the blood and remember him. I think Jesus knew that ultimately the church would move out of the house church uh, sort of arrangement that they had in the New Testament days. And we'd start to build our buildings and we'd get proud of our buildings and we'd see cathedrals and we'd think that's what the church is. We'd think of fine uh, structures and architecture. We'd think that's what the church is. And we'd get so caught up in the material aspects of church that we would forget what we're all about. And Jesus said, no, make sure you come back again and again to the cross and partake of the body and the blood. And remember, it's all about Jesus. I think Jesus knew that our tendency would be to think that we had a better design on how to run things than God has in his word. And so uh, we would start to develop an entrepreneurial spirit. We'd start to treat the church like any other business that needs to be marketed. We need to have slogans. We need to have advertising. We need to do focus groups and analyze what our clientele, what's our niche, what's our, our, our potential base of operations and go after those folks and tailor the message and make sure we don't offend and, and, and change everything so that we're, we're, we're being, you know, just appealing on an advertising basis. And we need to come back to the cross again and again and partake of the body and the blood. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Folks, you just, just proclaim Jesus and show how beautiful he is. And the Father will call unto himself all those 
whom he has chosen. Just proclaim Jesus. But if we, we get the idea that, that somehow it's a financial institution or, or somehow it's an advice institution, we would lose our way without this essential faith in the Lord Jesus. This faith is so, so sweet. There's a sweetness about gathering together because of our faith in Jesus Christ. You know, uh, Randy just brought back some of our students from uh, the Passion Conference. Passion is a place where um, um, over-the-hill teenagers go. Oh, and, well, actually, <laughs> no, okay. But anyway, the, the, the Passion is a place where, where uh, basically college age and a little bit younger uh, students go, but students go to Passion, and, and they hear fantastic music and have a fantastic worship experience. And, and, and preachers, and, and this year I think it was in four or five venues, four venues, he says four, and it was 120,000 people, okay, give or take 80,000, but um, uh, anyway, about, about 40,000 people or so um, in these four venues were linked together with, with video feeds and, and were listening to the same uh, sermons and preachers and presenters and, and so forth, and it was just a fantastic experience, and, you know, they, they come back and I listen to them and they're saying, you yeah, you should have been there. Why, why we listen to fill in the blank? And he was wonderful. He was great. You know, he was marvelous. He spoke on and gives me an outline of the person's sermon. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it, it's actually like really exciting to hear. It's exciting to see someone whose faith in Jesus Christ has grown just a little bit and who has that joy and that excitement about Jesus Christ. But uh, I, I want to tell you something. I've been a Christian. I counted it up. It's something over 57 years. Um, and, and that's not great by some of your standards. But okay, it's been 57 years. And what I can tell you today is those, what those kids are experiencing. It's not the case where I've been there and done that. It's the case where I've been there and I'm doing it still. I mean, every day you love Jesus, he just grows more beautiful. Every day you serve him, he grows more majestic. The name of Jesus just grows sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. And it's only when, as a church, we get together and we're around that faith in Jesus Christ that we really know what we're all about and we're really growing in him and the church is fulfilling its purpose. Jesus said it this way when he was uh, with his disciples. He stopped outside a little town called Caesarea Philippi. Uh, the name of the town has nothing to do with the story. This just happens to be where it happened. Uh, but Caesarea Philippi. And uh, he turns to his disciples and he says, Guys, who do people say that I am? How are they processing what they're seeing me do and hearing me teach? Who do people say that I am? And the disciples said, Well, Jesus, uh, some think that you're Elijah, you know, the prophet who's going to come before the Messiah. Uh, they think that, you know, like maybe you're fulfilling that little box on the organization chart. And uh, other people think that you're one of the prophets because you're doing prophet stuff, and that's really cool. Some people think you're John the Baptist. Now, we know John the Baptist was just killed, but we're kind of in a Hindu period, so we think maybe you've come back as John the Baptist. No, they didn't say that. But, uh, you know, it, and they say, you know, this is what the people are saying. You're somebody great. And then Jesus says, but guys, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter says, no, Peter blurts out, you're the Christ, you're Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And in Aramaic, Jesus said to him, Peter, you nailed it, you got it, you've absolutely nailed it, that's who I 
am. And not only that, Peter, you didn't even figure it out yourself. My Father in heaven, he showed it to you and he moved you to, to confess that. And that's what this whole thing is all about. The Messiah, Son of the living God. And Peter, let me tell you something. I'm going to build my church on this rock. Your confession, your profession of faith in me, that's going to be the foundation of the church. I'm going to build a whole church on that rock of belief in the Messiah Jesus, the Son of the living God. That's how essential it is. And that's how totally and completely necessary it is. Oh, when you love Jesus and you and you confess Him, and you're with other people who confess Him, it, it, there's just a beauty of that kind of fellowship. There's just a beauty of that. And, and as we work together, we don't take our eyes off the prize, and we don't, don't uh, misunderstand the purpose and the mission of the church. You know, we're, we're called to do great things. We're called to reach out to the community and show the love of God to those who are, who are abandoned and pushed to the margins. We're, we're called to challenge our society and our, and our world to, to better things. But most of all, and essentially, we are called to present Lord Jesus to our world. And so as, as Paul is writing, he says, well, uh, after all that the Father has done and the Son has done and the Spirit has done, although it's one work, one God and three persons, and we you know, that's the Trinity going on there. He says, but with, with all that, I see that you've linked in because of your faith in the Lord Jesus. He says, and because of that, I can hook up with you and I can tie in with you and with what you are doing. He says, but then I see that being manifest in your love for all the saints. He says, you, you have a love for all the saints. Now, it is true we are called to love everybody. But there's a special kind of love between Christian brothers and sisters. We're not saying we leave anybody out. It's not to the fact of exclusion. But the fact is, when you're with somebody who loves Jesus the way you love Jesus, there's a certain dynamic to that relationship that cannot be duplicated anywhere else or any way else. Let me tell you how, how significant this is. I'll just read this for you so, so we can move ahead quickly. But on the night the last night of his earthly ministry in the same room where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, and, and on the same night that he, that he did, in the same place, the same night, uh, the scripture says this, when he had gone out, now that's a reference to Judas Iscariot, that Judas finally left. He went out to find a way to betray Jesus. So the significance is, here's what's happened. Judas, the one who, who betrayed Jesus, who has not the um, um, hadn't gotten it, let's put it that way. He's gone out. Now Jesus says to them, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glory him at once. Did you get the idea that glory is going on here? Jesus is coming up to the cross where his body will be broken, where his blood will be shed. And he says, this is all about the glory. It's about the glory of the Son and the glory of the Father. And this glory is just going to go back and forth and back and forth. There's going to just be a glory fest going on here. All right. So he says, this, this moment of glory, we look at the cross, we didn't see it, but, but Jesus already did. He says, that there's going to be glory going on. And then he says, little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You'll seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. He says, this, this is going to baffle you guys. And you're going to be confused. There's going to be glory going on. And, 
and you won't know where you fit in and you won't, you, you're just going to be left. You can't come where I'm going, he says. So what's the one thing to tell them? What's the one thing to tell a group of, of, of men who are losing the one they love the most? What do you tell them? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. He says, guys, you're going to get on each other's nerves. I know it. <laughs> you're going to complain about each other. I just know it. You're going to say things like, there goes Peter again, or there goes Andrew again, or there goes Thomas again. He says, I know these things are going to happen to you. But here's what I'm telling you. Through it all, love one another. And it's so important that he, Jesus goes on to say, just as I have loved you, Jesus loved a lot of people, but there was a love for those who were called into the inner circle. He says, just in that special relationship we had, as, if I, as, as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, certainly Jesus taught us to love everybody. I mean, if you had asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? What's the greatest commandment? What's the one thing I need to do in my life to make sure I'm pleasing God? Jesus would have said something like this. Remember that there's only one God and love him with everything you got. Love him with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And oh, by the way, there's another commandment that goes right with it. And it goes like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you want an illustration of what it means to love your neighbor, just think about the good Samaritan who was traveling along and saw a complete stranger of a different ethnicity who wouldn't have given him the time of day against whom he had every right to have just a little bit of, of, of hesitancy. But he sees a man, he sees him in need, he sees him wounded and he goes over, he helps him, he expends his resources to, to bring him to an end and to bind up his wounds. He commits himself to pay for his recovery. Jesus said, that's what it means to love other people the way God wants you to love other people. So God has called us to love those around us. Don't misunderstand what I'm about to say because we are called to love other people. But there's something about loving one another because Jesus said this. This is John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love. No. If you have love for one another. See, this is how they'll know that this is Christian. That this is Christ-centered. That this is the exalting of the Son. When you love one another with the love that the world cannot fathom and cannot explain. We're called to love each other that way. Well, sometimes we don't do such a good job. But as Paul was writing, he said, and we're back to Ephesians now. As Paul was writing, he said, look, I'm, I'm looking for the evidence. I'm looking for the evidence that the gospel has had an impact on your life. I'm looking for the evidence that you've tied in to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you've tied into that. And he said, I see it because of faith in Jesus and because of love for one another. And so constantly, whenever, whenever we get to spots where we're getting off track and we're getting uh, you know, out of sync, when, when we're losing our way in these things, we just need to come back to the cross. Come back to the cross and see the broken body and the shed blood, partake of the bread and the wine. 
to come back to the cross and just remember it's all about Jesus. And when it's all about Jesus in your heart, you're going to love the people who love Jesus the way you do in a, in a very peculiar kind of way. And so the, 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 what I'd ask you to do this week, it's not something you're going to have to wait till Tuesday or, 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 or Friday or something. It, it, in fact, you can do this before you leave this room. I want to invite you to come to the table of the Lord. And as you partake of the body and the blood, remember Jesus and that your faith must be in him and him alone. And then just take a moment to remember he's called us to love one another in a very peculiar, God-inspired, Jesus-exampled, Holy Spirit-empowered kind of way to love one another. And that's the essence of the church. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, I thank you again for the resources of heaven that are ours. Thankful that we are not commanded to do anything other than what you give us the power to do. And so as we are asked to love one another, just give us the joy of looking more like Jesus, the joy of exalting him by the way in which we treat one another, love one another, so that you would receive the praise, the honor, and the glory for it all. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.